listening to the podcast From Now to Next. I'm your host, Erica Rooney, wife, mom of two, chief people officer, entrepreneur, and fitness fanatic. In my career, I have worked with and seen so many women who are itching to break through the glass ceiling and create the life they want to lead. But what I've found is that it isn't always the glass ceiling that holds us back, but rather it's our own sticky floors. These sticky floors can be limiting beliefs such as I'm not qualified enough. I don't have enough experience or the right background. I'm not the right, air quote, type of person they want. It can include toxic behaviors. Think perfectionism that prevents progress. Think wine Wednesdays that turn into everyday stress relief or even those deadbeat relationships that no longer serve us. If this resonates with you, then you're in the right place. No matter who you are, where you are in your life, or what you do for a living, the stories that we will cover on the pod will provide you with practical, proven, and purposeful steps to clean up that sticky floor, bust through the glass ceiling, and take you from your now to your next. Welcome to your favorite podcast for women from now to next, the podcast where we dive into the sticky floors that hold us back from breaking through glass ceilings. I'm your host, Erica Rooney, and I am excited to introduce my next guest, Lynn Power. Lynn is an advertising executive turned entrepreneur with a passion for leveraging creative thinking to build businesses and ultimately help brands survive and thrive. She is the co-founder and CEO of Masami, clean premium hair care, and an all-around amazing person who was introduced to me through a mutual friend, Lynn. So I'm super excited to have you other Lynn on the show. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for such a lovely introduction. Absolutely. So before we get kicked off, I've got a ton of questions for you, but I want everyone to kind of hear a little bit about you, who you are, how you came to be, and all the awesome things you're doing. Oh my gosh, that's like a huge, huge, right? Huge All the thing. Thing. I can just talk, talk forever and ever. But yeah, so, okay. So we were introduced by the other Lynn, who I guess is sort of a connection back to my pri- prior life, because I, as you alluded to, I spent a long career in advertising and marketing oh. and was running ad agencies and that whole thing. And then I, uh, left in 2018 and launched my own brands, Masami and Ilda Nature in 2020, really because I wanted to just take charge, take control. I kind of had done everything I wanted to do in advertising and just, I got tired. If I'm going to be blunt, I got tired of making other people money and building other people's brands. And I wanted to do it for myself. There is a saying, eat your own dog food. And it is... um, (laughs) It's a little bit of that, right? Like I've been advising other people for so long. I wanted to see how good my advice actually was. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and so you launched that in 2020. So how's it going so far? It's been fascinating. Obviously, it was a weird time to launch a brand, any brand. Um, The height of the pandemic. You picked a great brand. (laughs) No no one would have anticipated what what we dealt with. And then, of course, I had breast cancer. That was another unanticipated thing that happened last year, which I'm now a year through treatment. And they don't like to say you're cancer free because, you know, it's like jinxing it. But, but I am, but, but, my treatments did work. So yes. yay. 
we'll say it that way. So yeah, it's been a really interesting and odd time of my life, but it's also been incredibly fulfilling and fun because when you have your own business, you get to work with who you want to work with. You can get rid of all those toxic people, most of them. I still have a few here and there, but I really work hard to get them out. And then you can kind of create your own life in the sense of making your work fit your life instead of making your life fit your work. Mm. That is a big difference. And it is a very rewarding difference. Yeah. I love how you put that. It's all about kind of that true integration, but getting to integrate the parts you love. Exactly. And and kind of ditching the parts you don't love. Yep. Hiring it out if it absolutely has to be a part of the business too. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So on this podcast, Lynn, we talk a lot about those sticky floors, which are all the limiting beliefs, toxic behaviors, toxic relationships, perfectionism that were really kind of keep women from breaking through the glass ceiling, right? That's all what my intro is about from being the best that we can be, right? When I say those words and sticky floors, what immediately pops into your head? Well, I think of my advertising career, which Thank God it has changed because when I started, there were lots of, lots of sticky floors and the sticky floors had to do with just a bro culture that was not very female friendly or inclusive. And it's not that it was, I never felt it was overtly like, like you can't do this because you're a woman kind of thing, but it was more, it wasn't so explicit. It was more implicit. Like you just weren't included when all the guys went to the strip bar which they used to do. I mean, now it'd be like, you can't do that. Yeah. Um, Not that I would have wanted to go, but that's like a way of excluding women to do that women don't want to do. Play golf. They'd all go on their little golf things. And it's like, well, I don't play golf. Right. What am I supposed to do? And I I don't really want to learn. So no. So I think, I think some of those, those rituals are set up designed to kind of keep women out without saying we're keeping women out. If you know what I mean? Yeah. We're just going to play golf. Yeah. Yeah. Like, don't get that out of state. We're just, yeah. We're, you don't do that. So, yeah. and, and there was quite a bit of that in, in when, as I kind of early in my career and then later in my career when I was more senior and I thought I would be invited to some of those things and I still wasn't, it was like, oh, okay, I guess that's the deal. Now, having said that, there were also I, some great bosses I had, male bosses, some of the female bosses, not so great. That's a whole, topic probably until itself. No, Um, talk a bit about that because a lot of women kind of have that there's only room for one at the top, right? Only one female mentality. And like I did, I had to scrap to get here. So like, I'm going to do whatever I got to do to stay here instead of there's plenty of abundance. There's plenty of room, like come join me. It's really interesting. And I never thought of it the way you just talked about it. Is that like, there's only room for one at the top. I was more forgiving thinking it was more that these women who were more senior had grown up having role models that operated a certain way to get ahead. And it was very masculine traits. So they were very aggressive. They were arrogant, not confident. The traits of male leaders were just... There was a certain yeah. sort of way you had to behave in order to succeed. And that's because you didn't have female leaders to emulate. So I always thought that these bad bosses were more a function of that's what they learned. Like they didn't know any better as opposed to it being sort of like this Machiavellian or malicious thing of, 
not wanting to let other women in, but you could be right. I mean, it, yeah, what you're saying too makes complete sense, right? If you don't have any leaders who lead with empathy or right. any of those traits that women are well known for, it, for traits being in leadership, they only emulate what they know. They only see. So do they think yeah. that that's how they have to operate? That this is how you have to, to be to be a leader? But it could be a combination of the two. It probably is a combination yeah. of the two. And some of it is probably deep-seated and they don't even know. But I mean, like, even oh. if you interviewed some of these women that were terrible bosses and asked them, why Never. didn't you support the other women? Because the other thing is, some of them would say, oh, well, the women just weren't as good. That's the other thing. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Again, by your definition, you were valuing people that would raise their hand to get promoted. Just because a woman didn't do that doesn't make her not as driven, not as ambitious. Because that's a mistake that a lot of us make is that yeah. I made early in my career is I just assumed that hard work would speak for itself. Yeah. And it does. And it doesn't. Yeah. And the men don't really care so much about hard work. They're more about getting credit for every little thing they're doing, yeah. no matter how big or small. And the women sit there and are like, oh, my God, but I've been doing these like 50 things. Don't people see it? And it's like, well, even if they see it, you still have to remind them of how important it is or it's why it matters. Because there seems to be this gap, right? Because they do see and they notice and they would sit there and they will be like, Lynn, you're awesome. You're killing the game. But there's like this gray space that they don't see to be like, she deserves a promotion or she's right. a great person in this role. It's almost like they just black out. So there's so much power and we need to put a ton of importance on elf. Ethical self-promotion. Somebody framed it to me that way. Yeah, I like that. Ethical self-promotion. So yes, toot your own horn. Talk about what a badass you are and how you're doing all the things. Because if you don't, they don't put the two and two together. Well, not only do they not put it together, but the other thing that happened to me a lot was if you're good at your job, they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to move you. They don't want to promote you because that means it causes a a ripple in the system where they have to backfill you or they, oh my God, but that person is so good with that client. Mm -hmm. So you would get actually penalized for being good at your job. And it would piss me off to no end. I'd be like, are you kidding me? And then I would quit. And I'm like, well, see, like, yeah, now nobody has me. Yeah. Are you happy? Are you happy now? Now the client yeah. really pissed. So yeah, a lot of companies used to do that. I think hopefully companies have gotten a little bit better about understanding that like people need to have progression and, mm -hmm. and also you have to say like, this is what I want to be or where I want to be in two years, five years, whatever, to at least have a plan. It's like, you can't expect people to read your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I noticed that there's a lot of people out there who are waiting for their leader to kind of map out what the future should be for them. Yeah. Instead of saying, this is what I want to be. They're like, I'm going to sit here in my role and I'm going to wait for them to tell me what bricks I need to lay to get to X, Y, and Z. And some leaders are really great at outlining that, but like you have to be your biggest advocate when it comes to what you want. A hundred percent, because there are plenty of leaders who just, they just, they don't, they don't think about it. They got a million things going on. And also sometimes I think people assume if you're not asking to be promoted or asking for a certain thing, not everybody wants to be the boss. Not everybody wants to be promoted. And they kind of might put you in that group of, 
people that are just not really interested in a management role, which by the way, I found that more of the younger generation, which my kids are part of, yep. they don't necessarily want to take on that responsibility of managing other people. Uh-huh. Doesn't sound very appealing to them. Maybe it's because they're Gen X parents, right? They heard us bitching and moaning about all the people we had to deal with. And they're thinking, why would I sign up for that? I just want a job where I can contribute, but I don't want to manage people. I just want to deal with my own BS. No one else. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And I, I and I think that's a little generational difference because I hear that not just from my kids, but from other younger 20-somethings where they're like, don't assume I want to be what, I don't want that job. I don't want to be a CEO. So well, and companies and leaders need to also create those types of growth tracks for people so that they do have a growth track, right? That does not necessarily entail managing people. Exactly. Like maybe you become more and more technical at something, or maybe you become more ingrained from a client perspective, whatever, depending on the field. But yeah, there's a ton of people out there right now that if you're a people leader, it's so much harder to actually close your computer at the end of the day, because it is not just about your job, but it's about everybody else's job. Yes, that is right. And and the new generation's coming on up. They don't want to deal with that mess. No, they really don't. So it's it's kind of going to be an interesting time in our workforce mm-hmm. to see how some of these things manifest, I think, because also, of course, the population is shrinking, so we don't have enough workers as it is. So, I mean, the good news is, like, I, I was in sort of the opposite situation when I graduated college because it was a recession and there weren't enough jobs. Yeah. Now there are loads of jobs, Not right? Enough. And and people don't really want to do the jobs. So it'll be interesting to see, like, what companies need to do to attract talent to get people to want to come, to get them to want to stay. And to me, it's like all the things we've been talking about. It's like give people a path that aligns with their goals, whatever those goals may be. If they want to learn more, if they want to do something different, if they want to be promoted, if they want to grow, whatever. But but have the conversations up front so you understand where your team is at and what they want to do and where they want to go and then find opportunities for them. I mean, I always tried to find opportunities for people when I worked in advertising. If it was like somebody was interested in production or switching from account management to production, for example, I I, I would try to bring them along to a shoot so they could kind of get a, a an understanding of, okay, what, here's what that entails. I mean, like, usually if you make a little effort, you can find ways to incentivize people by giving them things outside of money. It doesn't always have to be about money. Yeah. So what I think is interesting, and it kind of goes along with your talk track here, is a lot of the people that we see in the workforce today, too, kind of taking the track that you did, they don't want to work for other people, right? They're kind of getting to this place where like they want to control their own destiny a little bit more than if they're in the corporate world. So my question for you, right, kind of climbing the ladder in advertising, you're very successful doing all of that. How did you, did you start to feel an inkling like you didn't want to do it anymore? Did you just wake up one day and you're like, I'm over this. I want to run my own business. Like, how did that start? That shift from corporate America to now entrepreneur space? Yeah. I mean, I guess my last job was the CEO of J. Walter Thompson, New York, and very large ad agency, $2 billion at the time. doesn't exist anymore because it merged with another agency. Mm -hmm. So it's Wonderman Thompson at the time. JWT was one of the largest and it was actually the oldest ad agency in the world. So kind of kind of sad to see the brand disappear completely. But anyway, 
it was a very grueling job because when you have an agency that large and you're trying to modernize it, it's like the Titanic in some ways. You're on there and people are playing the music as the thing's going down because there are so many, I would call it gravity. There's just so much gravity that would pull you back down as you're trying to move. And a lot of it had to do with the systems, the people, the things and the ways they've always been done. It was very difficult to change. And this is not just an ad, ad agency. Any large company has, you could, there's reasons like Kodak couldn't stay in business. And any company going through any kind of change. Yeah. I mean, you could have been that change is big. You're going to have a lot more gravity. <laughs> right. So, so anyway, that's just my way of saying like when you have People think that these big jobs are really glamorous, but they're very difficult, very, very difficult. And so when you're trying to do that, you deal with a lot of, as we've been talking about human resource talent, you deal with a lot of people issues. Mm -hmm. You deal with the finance team constantly, practically daily. You have a lot of operational issues because you're trying to change the way the company works and operates. And, and, and I just was not really enjoying it because those things are not why I got into advertising. I got into advertising because I like building brands. I like creating something. And here I was, it was like every day was a different problem. I like problem solving if it's a client problem where I can really help them solve it through a marketing solution. But these weren't client problems. These were things like a lawsuit, <laughs> like yeah. messy, painful, difficult. And they're just have those so moments. Much- Did you have those moments where you're like, what the hell is going on? Why am I dealing with this? Yes. Yeah. Often. Yeah. Where I was like, why am why? yes. And then after doing it, I, I did it for four years, which is not it was that's a long time. Yeah, to because I really I stuck it out for a while because I really I felt an obligation to my team. I had brought some people over from my old agency that I ran. And I just, I liked all of them a lot. I really wanted to be successful. But there is a point where you have to call it. Like if it's not going to line up the way you need it to mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons, the holding company doesn't support it. The CEO, the global CEO was not uh, the, 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 the right person. Whatever those things are, um, you just have to kind of go, okay, maybe I need to ch- do something else. And then you, there's nothing else in advertising that I'm going to want to do. I mean, I I've done everything. So, yeah. yeah. So the idea of doing my own thing became really appealing. And actually, when I left, I started doing consulting first. I was consulting for some startups. And the reason I started working with startups was because I felt like I could make an immediate impact on their business. Yeah. As opposed to when you work with, with huge clients like J&J and Hershey and those types of clients, you would tell them to do something. You'd have these conversations. You'd have all sorts of rationale. You'd get them to agree. By the time they could implement it, it's a year later, a year and a half, and it's irrelevant. The The world has moved on. Yeah. So it just felt like it was very frustrating because you couldn't get ahead. Whereas when you work with a startup, you can literally have a conversation and I could say, you know what, Erica, I was looking at your website and I think you should do X, Y, and Z. And then tomorrow I'd go on, oh, she did it all. <laughs> like it's done. It's done. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, she actually implemented everything. Like, and so it just feels more um, moving at the speed of culture and, and the ability to make things happen. So I really liked that. And then I met my co-founder James and then we decided to launch our own business. But yeah, I mean, there's something really fulfilling just about just making a decision that, okay, we're going to do this. There's nobody in my way other than myself and I guess money, but 
then you just go do it. You just decide you want to make something happen and you just go make it happen. So how did you land on hair care? You've got all the experience in the world. You could do anything. And this is just how. I'm just curious. Yeah. So I had worked actually in beauty quite a bit in my career. And I actually ran L'Oreal's hair care business, the advertising at McCann. So that was all of their hair color and hair care products. And I actually also worked on Nexus and Tresemme and some other hair care brands. And then I met James, who's my co-founder, and he had been working on hair care formulations for about 10 years and had really no idea how to commercialize the business. Mm -hmm. So he had formulations, but he didn't have anything else. He didn't have a brand. He didn't have a plan. He did. So it just was a good match of our skill sets because I don't know how to make this stuff. Yeah. But uh, I know how to create a go-to-market strategy, a business plan, a marketing plan, all that good stuff, a brand name, get the packaging done, all, all that stuff. And so it just clicked. It just made sense. And I, I, and so I did that and I've really enjoyed it. I mean, now it's kind of taken on a new life because we went from just having my brand, Masami, then I launched a candle business. That's a whole different podcast, but... <laughs> And then I launched something called the Conscious Beauty Collective in April of this year. I was going through chemo a few months before. I was thinking about the business. This is what cancer is good for. It allows you to really prioritize and focus on the things that are important. Yeah. And not do things that are not important. And so one of the things that had worked really well for us was brand partnerships. And so I wanted to do more of those. And so this idea was born out of that desire. And we created a pop-up experience with 32 indie beauty and wellness brands. And so that went so well. We started in, it was in San Francisco for three months. That went so well that we moved to Boston, which is where we are now. We're at Natick Mall outside of Boston and we'll be there till the end of the year. But my, my point is more around you get to do the things you like to do. And one of the things that I found has been really fulfilling is working with other founders mm. because I get a lot of energy out of helping, supporting, sharing, helping each other grow. I mean, nothing would make me happier than to see those 32 indie beauty and wellness brands that are part of the Conscious Beauty Collective all be acquired in five years. Right. Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, and so that's been really, really like the opposite of what I was describing in advertising, where it was like sucked your soul. Mm -hmm. This is like now filling my soul back up. And so I do think you need to find those things. You can do the soul sucking things for a while if you really need to. Like you can go, okay, I got to do this for a couple of years because I need the money. But at some point, you got to fill it back up. You can't just run dry because it'll suck the life out of you. Yeah. Now, when you kind of, not kind of, but when you were making this transition, you were leaving corporate, you were starting your own business. Did you ever have these feelings of like, who the hell am I to do this? And like, holy shit, or were you pretty steadfast and confident in it? I never really had those feelings. I know that a lot of women do the yeah. imposter syndrome thing, but I've seen so many women and mentored so many women over my career that were so capable. And I've seen what's at the top. And I think maybe for me, that was really eye-opening. It felt a little bit like Wizard of Oz when you pull the, 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 the curtain back and, oh, that's, that's it. Because I think everyone assumes that there's these really brainiac, incredible leaders at the top of organizations. And usually they're just not, they're just normal people. Yeah. And, and so because I have that perspective, because I mean, I've met countless 
CEOs of very large organizations when I worked in advertising, right? And I was always like, huh, I mean, smart, very smart people, don't get me wrong. And there are some exceptional people that are truly like an alien must have put them on this planet because how can Elon Musk come up with this plan to make recyclable rockets? But I mean, those people I find are, are the exception, not the norm. Most leaders are good, solid leaders, but they're not better than you. That's that's that was my realization is like, oh, these people are no smarter than me. They might have more experience in one thing. They might have. So I never really had the like, why do I have the right to do this? Because in a way, I felt like I've done it for other people for so long. I absolutely have the right to do this. And then when I meet a lot of other founders, it's interesting because most of them don't come from marketing. A lot of them, there's one in our store. She was a lawyer. She, she, a lot of them are in the corporate world, but in very different roles. There are some chemists in the, in the, in, in, in the Conscious Beauty Collective who are great formulators, but they don't have any other, not marketing or business savvy people. Yeah. Everybody comes with their strength and you just have to be self-aware enough to know what your strength is and where your, your blind spots are. And that's why I also love this energy of having all the founders working together because I know that I I'm, don't know a lot about formulations, but I have a lot of other founders that do, including my co-founder, obviously. But there are other founders if we want another opinion. So it's nice to have that ability to say like any one of us doesn't have to be 100% perfect because we, we've got this community that gives us the ability to kind of bounce things off of each other and share. Yeah. Well, and I think it's such a good point that like, you can't be all things. You just can't, right? Like you can, you cannot be an amazing chemist and an amazing coder and all of the other bajillion things in the world that it takes to run these large, amazing companies, right? And then you talked about how you saw behind that curtain and that there's this perception that people at the top are these amazing people and doing all these amazing things when really they're just in there doing the books and dealing with bullshit and driving the ship forward right so i think that's kind of a neat a neat connection point is like pick those strengths right and hone in on those and then pull in other people to fill your gaps (laughs) okay that's key because there are people that a lot of women think i've got to learn it i've got to know it no you don't you can pull in other people You don't have to know everything. I know in some things I know enough to be dangerous, okay? And not a good way. So it just depends. But I think, yeah, I'm a big believer in finding and outsourcing the capabilities that you need and not having to train yourself on how to do Facebook ads if you don't need to. Because it also changes all the time. A lot of these things, you may feel like you need to learn and then you learn it and then the algorithm changes. And then before, like if you've been out of it for a year, it's totally different. So yeah, think about what you're good at. What Be honest with yourself too. And the, not just what you're good at, but what you love. Because sometimes I find uh, in my team building at the agency, there'd be people who claim to be good at something, but they really weren't, but they loved something else. You know what I mean? Like, And you kind of have to line those things up and make them work. Because if you have somebody in a job where it doesn't align with their skill set or somebody in a a job, it's just not their passion and they're spending all their extra time on their passion over here. It's like, just line them up. It makes it so much easier. Yeah. Right. That's right. See, right time. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get stuck 
and they're trying to force that square peg round hole kind of thing. But you can only do that for so long before burnout or stress and the people are just like, I'm out of here. You can only do that for so long. So yeah, I think aligning the skills, aligning the passions, like just because you're really good at something doesn't mean you like it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think a lot of times what I'd see is like, if there was a really great female project manager, sometimes the women are good at that stuff, right? And I don't, I don't mean to sound that stereotypically, but I think it's because the guys don't want to do it. And so the women would get asked to do a lot of that type of work and they'd get good at it. Yeah. And then the more work would get heaped on you and it doesn't mean you like it. Right. It's like, I would always say like when I got more senior in my career and I had more of a voice and I didn't care and other women are not going to be comfortable doing this, but like I would go into a meeting and there'd be five guys in me and I'd just say, I'm not taking the notes. Amen. Yeah. Somebody else do the notes. Yeah. And, and they'd kind of all look around and I'm like, sorry, my writing sucks. I'm not, it's one of you has to do it. And that was just, so I do think you can do that and yeah. you can laugh about it. It doesn't need to be like a big feminist statement. It can no. just be like, look, my writing sucks. <laughs> yeah. I'm, if I take the notes, we won't be able to decide. Nobody's going to read this later. Yeah. So who's got, let's compare writing. Who's got the best writing. Okay. And actually it's funny because my, my creative partner, at Arnold's had great handwriting guy, a man. And he used to do the notes for me because I'd be like, John, you're writing so much better. And he'd, he'd go, yeah, I know. And he'd go, no, no, I'm doing it. I'm it's doing my it. strength. Yes. <laughs> and I love that. It was like, that's cool. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good partner and leader though, too. Yeah. Right. He so would that's always, awesome. Yeah. That, that was, that was nice. He liked, he liked it. He had good writing. I could, yes, it was a good, good partnership. So what are the challenges that you're kind of looking at heading on? The pandemic's kind of leveling out, out a little bit. Your treatments have worked. Like, I feel like it's just the sky's the limit here for you. Like, what's opening up? What are we doing? I mean, a big challenge, there's, there's a couple challenges that any startup will understand. One is cash flow. Mm -hmm. Because anytime you're making a product like we are, like a physical product, and you actually have to order inventory or you want to create a new new products in your, in your portfolio, it's like $50,000. Ouch. So, but I mean, like there's always yeah. that like hit of, of managing that. And if you run out of product and need more, it's, it's, it's just, it's just what it is. Um, so cash flow is just a constant juggling and then customer acquisition because you have to find new customers when you're bootstrapped. Like we are, we don't have outside funding. You're trying to just use your two nickels to make it work. And some of the things that you did a year ago don't work the same. So Facebook doesn't work the same. That That's that's probably, those are the biggest challenges. And then of course, distribution, which is one of the reasons I did the pop-up store also, because it's very difficult as a small brand getting into any sizable retailer. Yeah. And by the way, even if you do, sometimes brands wish, they, they just wish for it so hard and the universe manifests it. Oh, you wanted to get in Target? Here you go. You're in Target and it kills the brand. Because what they don't realize is getting in is just the first step. You have to stay in. Yeah. And you have to actually get the velocity, meet the goals, get people to buy your product off the shelf or they'll kick you out. They are, you're out. Yeah, you're done So Yeah. And if you're out, it's very, very hard, near impossible to get back in. And it's very hard to get other people to take you because then you have a. The failure. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. 
So, so I always say to founders, be careful what you wish for, because those things are not always what they, they're cut out to be. Yeah. So, so one question I always ask everybody on my podcast is if you were to go back in time to the Lynn who's running the show at the advertising agency, has not launched her own entrepreneurial businesses yet, what kind of advice would you give her knowing everything now, knowing what you've learned, you've had your cancer journey thrown in there at the same time too, like what would you tell that Lynn? I would say don't sweat the small stuff because there's so many things that you get worked up about and twerked up about and it's very easy and it's not worth the stress. Yeah. And then I would also say you got to learn to kind of put things in priority and balance. Like you just have to, I guess I'm saying the same thing. <laughs> I just I'm like kind of saying the same thing, but like, you, you, yeah, that's a big one uh, would be. And also then think of it's a long game. And because it's a long game, people want this to be an overnight success. And a lot of the most successful brands I know have been doing it for a long time. It's not going to happen overnight. And it takes a lot of work. And so if you think of it as a marathon, you're mentally more prepared. You're not so freaked out if this year things didn't go exactly your way or or, or happens that was unexpected. Then you just kind of go with the flow a little bit more. Well, I'm a big fitness person. I love running. So when you're like, think of it as a marathon, it clicks into place for me because I run a ton of marathons and it's like, not every mile is also pretty. There's some really bad miles out there sometimes. And I think it's true for so many people, especially because of social media, we see these over overnight successes. None of them yeah. are overnight. There are decades and decades in between of planning and trying and failing and trying again and all of the things that we don't see. But like you said, it's a long game. I like the marathon quote though. Yeah. I'm here for anything fitness related. It, it's not <laughs> for me. <laughs> but yeah, no, it really is. Cause, cause also you don't want to get burned out and people that think we'll use the fitness if they sprint. Oh they God, you'll be dead. You yeah. And and then that's worse because if, if you wait until you're exhausted, then you you really need to do a full reset. And that's a whole thing. And it's mentally challenging and it's physically challenging. So you're better off. So now like the, my attitude towards growth is I ignore all the VC stuff that says you have to grow. If you're not doubling your growth every year, you're a failure. I mean, yes, that would be nice to double my growth every year. But now I look at it as if I'm up one dollar in 2022 versus 2021, that's success. We're growing. I'm growing. We are growing. We're not going backwards. Yes. And so, yeah, I I know it sounds people would listen to that and go, oh, that's terrible. Like that's. But I think again, it's like you got to look at it as I just have to keep growing, and then and it's also there's a famous quote I can't remember who said it. It's like the job of a startup is to stay in business long enough to get lucky. And I do think there's truth to that. And luck can mean different things. It could mean the right investor. It could mean, oh my God, the new sex in the city just had Masami on. You know what I mean? And like, oh, holy shit, my business just blew up. Or well, it, could mean, it could mean a lot of different things. But right. I think that is part of it is like, you just have to hang in there, even on the dark days, because at some point, the luck will come your way if you're in business long enough. Yeah. I mean, think about it. How many times are people just hanging out in the background until Kim Kardashian puts one of their things on Instagram and in the background of her video? 
And then boom, 80 million people on it. So you're right. Sometimes it is a little bit of luck, but it's also that persistent hard work that you're doing in the background before that moment comes. Yes. So I love it. Well, cool. Well, where can people find you if they're like, I got to check out this hair care line. I got to see what's going on. I want to hear more from this woman. Rising agent turn entrepreneur guru. Where can we find you? I'm easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn and I do respond. I'm I'm on social channels as Lynn Powered, P-O-W-E-R-E-D. But then my brand is is Love Masami Hair is our social handle everywhere. So we, yes, we even have a TikTok account. Oh, um, dang. You are. I know. You um, are doing it. And then my website is lovemasami.com. And Masami is M-A-S-A-M-I. So that's that's us. So yeah, you can find us and check it out. Yeah. I Let will me- link all of that stuff in the show notes so that they can just easily click and go there. But Lynn, thank you so much for being on thank here. It's awesome to hear your story. Oh, it was so fun. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast from now to next. You can follow me for more content on Instagram at from underscore now underscore to underscore next Facebook. And my name there is just from now to next LinkedIn under Erica Rooney or my website at www.fromnowtonext.org. Make sure to snap a screenshot of this podcast and tag me on Instagram. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach other women who might need the inspiration to get up and out of their sticky floor today.